So that I can take a seat, I'm going to get this library off of my chair. We begin a study in the book of Revelation this morning. If you, uh, my goal is roughly 20 weeks. We'll see if we achieve that or not. That means, last time I taught Revelation, it took us a year. We went really slow, pretty in-depth. We're not going to do that this time. We're going to cut that time in half. But that means that we have to jump over things or just glide along the surface in a lot of subject matter. So if you're a student and you want to dig in and you want a quality commentary on Revelation, uh, this is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ by John Walvoord. I've mentioned him many times before. His last name is spelled W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. Um, fantastic commentary. This is, uh, if your study Bible is a basic level commentary in regards to what is going on in the book of Revelation, this would be an intermediate commentary. This is not something that's overwhelming. He touches on all the big subject matters. He touches on the discrepancies or different opinions. Uh, but mainly, he keeps the attention on Jesus Christ, on the Word of God, and takes you through all those different references. Because as we sit in Revelation, there's a lot of imagery, but the Bible gives us definition for that imagery. So that's this commentary. In regards to uh, interpreting what Revelation has to say as a prophetic book... This is called Revelation, Four Views, a Parallel Commentary. Uh, it's by Steve Gregg, G-R-E-G-G. This will walk you through the four major ways in which believers in Jesus, this isn't errant, weird teaching doctrine, but when you sit across the table from another believer, a lot of people have different ideas. And what does this mean? How do you interpret it? How do you apply it? This walks through verse by verse in Revelation, and then we'll have all four of those different views parallel to one another. And I'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more later. And then just when it comes to general prophecy, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation has a lot of prophetic words from God, which means that there is a prediction about the future, um, you look at the office of what a prophet is, of who Jesus is as prophet. A prophet is the mouthpiece of God. Here's what God has revealed about himself to an individual, and he sends that individual into a culture to be the mouthpiece for God. That's what prophecy is in the Bible. When you sit in the whole idea of prophecy, it is to... I love the definition repetitiously in Ezekiel. When you sit with him... God says, I am telling you this so that when it happens, you will know that I am God. That is the purpose of prophecy, and we'll get into a, a, a polished and in-depth definition of that as we get into Revelation this morning. But this is called Things to Come. It's a study in biblical eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end times. This is by Dwight Pentecost. Copyright is 1958, which is good because that means it's solid teaching that stands the test of time. So you get into a lot of the ideas in Revelation. Um, there's many interpretations and applications that do not stand the test of time. 
because there's often an attempt to take what's going on in current culture and cram it into the Word of God, and that's not what we're supposed to do. We take what the Word of God says, and it gives us a lens into our lives. It gives us a lens in regards to who God is, and it does give us a lens to what's going on in our current culture. So we'll highlight those things as we go about. So I wanted to talk about that so I could sit in my chair. Um, announcements today. So youth service this evening is from 4 to 6 today because of the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay? What's the other team? Kansas City. Kansas City? Who's going for Brady? Who wants to see Brady win a Super Bowl? You know, I think I'm, I'm really cool with that. To, to, to win so many with the Patriots and everybody hates him because he's been on top for so long. Everybody wants to see the new guy, right? Uh, what, a, what an accomplishment it would be if Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl today. If Patrick Mahomey, as my mom calls him, Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, man, what, a, what an awesome talent to watch. Yeah? So anyway, all that to say is we know what we're doing this evening. Youth service tonight is from 4 to 6. Um, there is an Airsoft event for the youth. All the information is on the website. Uh, I believe registration is on there also. If not, registration is going on out in the foyer. It's 45 bucks per kid to go have your children shoot each other with little rubber pellets. As a parent who wants to sign up, Just kidding, Asher. I won't, I won't show up. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those boys don't need killing, they, but they need a little bit of pain in their life, right? <laughs> For all the pain that they caused me. I have awesome, awesome children. All right, we are going to go through Revelation chapter 1 this morning. But before we get into Revelation, I want everybody to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, because we're really in a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of Acts. And the only reason that we are in Revelation is because we have been, as you travel through the book of Acts, we watch the gospel being communicated to different communities. As we land in each one of those communities, we've been going to the letters, later on letters that are written to those specific communities. So when we watch the gospel land in Ephesus, as, as the Apostle Paul is there sharing the gospel and spends time there, before we leave that community, we're in these other letters that are written to the church in Ephesus. So that's why we've gone through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We went through the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to Ephesus, and we'll see very clearly that the letter of Revelation is written to the Ephesian church. So it's written to this group of seven churches that are all on the western side of modern-day Turkey, which was the Roman province of Asia during the time. So that is why we are studying Revelation. And then we just love the providential leading of God, that there's a great deal of curiosity in regards to God's actions God's will, God's desire for what's going on in our geopolitical and our geo-religious world and context right now. And really, that's, it's, always, it's always fascinating because we want to know exactly what God's doing, why he's doing it, what's going on, when's he going to come back. But we come to the book of Acts, chapter 1, because this isn't, this isn't a warning 
It's just truth. And we all need to hear truth out of Jesus' mouth. So this scene is after Jesus has risen from the dead, after he paid for our sins on the cross, there's a period of time between his resurrection and his ascension. And that's this period of time when the disciples are talking to him. And in chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Therefore, when they, being the disciples, when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, just listen to that question. Jesus are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? They're sitting underneath the oppression of the Roman government. They sit in all of the Old Testament promises of God in regards to the healing of the nation of Israel, in regards to the promised anointed one who Jesus is as the Messiah, as Christ. He's paid for sins. He's resurrected from the dead. The disciples are asking him this question, is now the time? What's Jesus' response? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So even as we sit today, Jesus, are you going to come back now? Is my generation the time. I firmly believe that Jesus can come back at any moment. I firmly believe when I look at the landscape of life that we live in and dwell in right now, the things that are predicted in the Bible in regards to the events that are going to transpire before he comes back, that those things are all being put into place. And as we go through Revelation, we'll talk about those specific things. However, I have to have caution with that. I want Jesus to come back now selfishly. I'm ready to see him. I'm ready to be done with me and to be just like him. I'm ready for us to join that heavenly worship chorus. I'm ready for a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new name. I'm ready. But... He waited for me. He waited for my kids. What family member are you waiting for to bend their knee to Jesus as Savior, as healer, as friend? If our God waits another thousand years to return, praise God. I don't think so. But if so, Amen. And as we sit in the book of Revelation, we have to be cautious that we are not placing an overemphasis upon signs and times and seasons. We want to make sure that all of the emphasis that we always place is on the name of Jesus. This morning's title message message of the sermon this morning is simply jesus revelation is by definition it's the greek word where we get apocalypse from when you think about the word apocalypse what comes to mind hell on earth right war 
That's usually like our cultural definition. The word apocalypse means revelation. And the whole idea is if God did not give us this revelation of Jesus, there are things about him and things about the future that would be impossible for us to know. They would remain hidden unless they were unveiled. And that's what this world word revelation means. It means it's an unveiling. It's a drawing back of the curtain. And ultimately what we are seeing is this curtain is drawn back. We are seeing the nature, the character, the attributes, the mind, the heart, and the behavior of our God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the emphasis is this is the unveiling, the revelation of Jesus the Christ in his glory, in his majesty, in his power, and in his judgment. So that's why we start here in the book of Acts, because we all ask Jesus the same question. Is it now? And Jesus very clearly tells the disciples, which is you and me as followers of him, it is not for us to know the times and the seasons that the Father has placed into his own hand. But what are our marching orders? Verse 8, you shall receive power, strength, ability, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And here's the emphasis, you shall be my witnesses you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So until Jesus comes, our marching orders from him, he has promised to give to us himself. Father and Son send the Spirit as we have faith in Jesus Christ and we are filled with the Almighty God and empowered to accomplish what? To know him, to love him, to surrender to him, to yield to him, to honor him. And as we engage with the culture, it's to give testimony. This is who he is in truth. This is what he's done. This is how he's changed me. And if we have that as the beginning... Now we're going to turn to the very end of Revelation. Go to chapter 21 of Revelation. The reason why we come to the end is we need to have the goal in mind. Where are you aimed? What's your hope? What's your confidence? Why do you, why do you live life? Why did you come here to worship this morning? Why did you come here to study the word of God? Why did you come here to fellowship? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What is it that energizes you throughout the day? The end. Chapter 21 of Revelation says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth, this earth that we're living on right now, says it is going to pass away. No more sea. I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Again, the imagery. 
I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. Can you imagine? God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. This is the goal. He says, the Father, the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who is seated on his throne, says, Behold, I make all things new. He commanded John to write these words because they are true and they are faithful. The Father from his throne in verse 6 says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So here's the contrast. Here's the warning. But the cowardly, unbelieving, Abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their parts in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Jump to chapter 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the streets and on either side, there was the tree of life. Jump down to verse 3. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Jump down to verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things, testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And here is the cry, I believe, of the entire prophecy of Revelation. The Spirit of God says, come. The bride, who's defined as us, the church, believers in Jesus Christ, the bride tells humanity to come. Let him who hears the words of this prophecy, who hears about Jesus, who hears about his nature, his character, his sacrifice, his power, let him who hears say, come. 
Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And Jesus in verse 20 says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. So we want to have the end in mind continually as we travel through the book of Revelation. I want to ask you this question. If you were God, and you're not, but if you were, and you had set up what life looks like, and you know, here we sit in the truth of what we've been given. If it was your decision, and you had a set date of when you were going to wrap this up, we're, we just read that he is going to make all things new. So if you were him and you were making that decision, what would you do immediately prior to that event occurring? Would you just let life keep going down the normal path that people are taking? Or would you attempt to radically intervene into the lives of human beings so that they would know you? And so that they would bend the knee and respond to you so that they would not remain as they are, but they would repent and come to you for the life that you promised and for the life that you created them for in the first place. Isn't that what you do? When did you stand at the gate of hell, the gate of death for every single human being and do all that you could do to interrupt that person from being separated from you and to give them every opportunity to be with you? That's the, that's the heart and the passion of God. That's exactly what he's done in my life. He stood with me. He was right there in every single sin that I ever committed, every single rebellion. And through that whole process, he kept speaking, sometimes loudly, sometimes softly, sometimes through other human beings. But he intervened in my life. He chose me. He called me. He saved me. He loves me. And we're going to sit in this definition. He, he loves us. And it makes, us, it makes us giggle. It's exciting. But the love that he has for me, he has that same love for everybody. When you travel through this prophecy, there are very violent, destructive, painful life experiences that we absolutely do not want to endure. And I don't want to see any human being endure. However, if that's what it takes for people to reject lies, reject their idols, reject themselves, and to turn to God, so be it. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So again, we always want to have the end in mind. And the end that we have in mind is the new heaven and the new earth, God being God, his creation, you and I, in perfect, eternal relationship with him. Amen? So, the weeks that we spend in this, it's easy to be excited out of the gate. It's easy to be excited out of the gate in your relationship with Jesus. It can be easy to be excited about the day that you have before you. 
as the day wears on, as the weeks wear on, as the months wear on, as the years wear on, uh, endurance is demanded. So we'll have patient endurance as we travel through this. There's much that we think is just awesome, and there is much that's uh, it's pretty painful to read. In regards to the word prophecy, in uh, so Revelation chapter 1, in verse 3, we'll end up reading this, but just want a little bit under our belt. It says, it calls this book, all these words, the words of this prophecy. We're told in Revelation chapter 11, the whole, uh, it's the, the, the testimony, the witness, the, the information that we are told about Jesus Christ, that that is the spirit of prophecy. The whole reason God has given prophecy, whether it's in the Old Testament about who he is, about the promised anointed one, the Messiah, about the different covenants that he gave to the nation of Israel over time, whether it's those, that, uh, those words of prophecy, we watch them being fulfilled in Jesus in the Gospels, in the four Gospels. We watch those words of prophecy being fulfilled and even more words of prophecy being given you know, through Jesus in the gospel and in the letters as, again, there's, there's more and more revelation that comes about. And this prophecy, ultimately, it's this capstone on all the word of God that has multiple lines, multiple threads, multiple ideas that go into almost every single book in the Old Testament. So that's a lot of the imagery and a lot of the symbols that we're going to be sitting in. But again, the, the emphasis behind the unveiling that has been given is to bear witness about the nature and the character and the truth about who Jesus is. That is the breath, the wind, the spirit, the power of prophecy. That's the whole heart behind what is being given. Now, when you deal with prophecy, again, I mentioned earlier that there's there's a lot of different ideas that uh, people will, as a filter to approach this specific prophecy with. And I've had this long-winded introduction so that we can be free from all of our filters because we kind of got to shake them out. We'll, we'll place filters in place as we approach the Word of God. We'll allow other people to place filters so we don't want to approach the word of God through some system of doctrines, through some systematic theology where it tells you this is what you must believe. So there's one idea that became very prominent during the Reformation. It's the historical view of as you sit and interpret what Revelation has to say. And the idea is that it's, it, the prophecy overall is, is revealing church history throughout time. When you sit in, the, when the Reformation was happening and, and all that was going on, uh, the dominant teaching was that the Pope was the Antichrist. Uh, the Catholic Church was the woman that is riding on the beast, if you know the imagery. So we'll sit in that information as, as we get into it. But again, that's, that idea has an emphasis upon taking what's going on in your current culture and trying to find out how your current culture fits into all of this. So when you sit in a historical interpretation of Revelation, 
as you travel throughout history, you have a variety of ideas that come up in regards to what it means. And I'm saying that to say this, is because we're at the end of all of this history before us. So we have to filter through today a lot of information that people taught about Revelation in the past, that people still teach as though it's true today, and it has nothing to do with what the Word of God says. It has to do with a system of doctrine. It has to do with a system of teaching. Another one is a spiritual idea, that Revelation has nothing to do with reality, that its emphasis is all upon pictures, symbols, allegory, figures of speech that can be applied in all of our lives, in any human being's lives, at any time in history, and it's all just a big um, allegory for, for God, for, uh, for sin, for idolatry, for all these different areas of human society. So, there's a lot of truth in that. There can be a lot of application in that. Um, but very clearly, to only hold that view, you would have to say, essentially, you know, this is not prophetic. It is not God's word being spoken in power in regards to future events uh, before he returns, that it's all just types and pictures that can be applied in anybody's life. The other one is a preterist view, and this is, uh, these are the two major views that really sits in, in our culture, in our time, and it's all based upon how you date the book of Revelation. And again, this comes through a filter also of, we have to make a decision of when did Jesus give this revelation to John? There is, we have two options, and two options have been available all throughout church history. Most of the options land on the side of a later date, and the later date is sometime before 96, the year 96. So the reason for that date is that's the date that the emperor Domitian died. The emperor Domitian is the first Roman emperor that declared war on Jesus. And you go sit in history, you go sit, why was John on the island of Patmos? The emperor Domitian exiled him there. He didn't execute him. He exiled him there. And the year that Domitian died is the year that John went back to the community there in Ephesus. And that we have early church writings that describe that. We have one church writing that is attributed to a guy named Papias. And this guy said that John died before the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. So a preterist view is going to hold an early view, which means that, that when Jesus gave this prophecy to John, that it was words about the future, but it was words about the immediate future. So at that time, Nero is the emperor. So when you hear about, anyways, we'll, we'll get into a lot of this as we go on. But if you take an earlier date, Nero is the emperor at the time that John would have been writing. Um, they see it as a prophecy, yes, but also a political piece for the period. And they're shoving all of these prophecies to occur in regards to the destruction of Jerusalem itself and the destruction of the temple. And then there's different ideas, you know, that all the imagery is associated with that period in time. I land on what's called the futurist view. And again, um, I have an actual quote that I'm going to read in a second. I land on the futurist view, um, and this is my understanding that as we read through the words of this prophecy, and once we hit chapter 4, that everything that is being discussed is still 
future predictive events that are going to occur immediately prior to Jesus coming, for him coming back. Here's a quote from Oswald Chambers. It says, it is, peril, peril, blah, blah, blah. it is perilously possible to make our conceptions of God like molten lead poured into a specifically designed mold. And when it is cold and hard, we fling it at the heads of the religious people who don't agree with us. Yeah? I, my imagery, and I, I've mentioned this a lot, there are, are closed-fisted doctrines of the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. God sent his son in the flesh. Jesus died for the sins of humanity on the cross. Jesus rose again from the dead. Repent. Follow Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Jesus is coming back within the next 10 years. As we sit in closed-fisted doctrines, those are hills that we will die on. There is no turning back for me from following Jesus. I will die for my relationship with him if that's the path that he leads me down. I will not turn back, so God help me. I think Jesus is coming back in our lifetime. So if I wrap my fist around that and I start winging it at your heads, all of a sudden anybody who doesn't agree with me and that specific idea is now not a Christian. They're not a believer. So as we sit in these different views, I am very much on the futurist side. I very much believe that the events that are described in Revelation are predictions for the future. I very much look at today's events as leading up to these events that are predicted for us. I very much believe that Jesus can return at any moment, that there is no prophecy waiting to be fulfilled before he comes. Is that really what time it is? I swear my introduction was only five minutes. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, this is what we're going to do. <clears throat> we're going to read chapter one. And that's all we're going to do. And your homework... Go and study it. So I mentioned books. Some of you are maybe auditory listeners. Uh, Joshua, you brought up Chuck Missler. Anybody know who Chuck Missler is? The guy's like drinking from a fire hydrant. Excellent teacher of God's word. Uh, K-House, Koinonia House, khouse.org is the website. If you want to sit in some audio teachings. There, Jack Hibbs is a Calvary guy that uh, sits in... 
prophecy sits in current events heavily. There's a lot of other quality teachers out there. I highly recommend to you as homework to listen to somebody else teach it. This is, a, this is my standard uh, walk in relationship that I had with the Lord. Um, you know, just as I sat under the teachings of others, I, Calvary's easy. You know exactly where we're going to be next week, right? We just go verse by verse. We just travel through the word. So because of that, if I know exactly what the pastor is going to teach next week, I'd listen to somebody else teach it. Not so that I could sit down and take notes and, well, this is where you're right and this is where you're wrong. And that, but just to hear another perspective. Because my perspective is not going to always be the right perspective. And my way of communicating is not always going to be the best way for you to receive what the Lord has to speak to you in the moment. So I'd encourage you, whether it's in book form, whether it's in audio form, whether it's in, in, uh, on YouTube or something like that. Here's, here's the qualifier. Just find somebody who loves Jesus and who believes that the word of God is the word of God. It's not easy to do. And in that caution, when it comes to revelation, you don't want to find the worthy bird, right? Somebody that's just got that little worthy bird hat, and I call them wing nuts. Sometimes I'm a wing nut. We want to find people who are solid, who are encouraging, who believe in the name of Jesus, who believe that this is a prophecy, not only spoken to individual cultures and history, but to every believer for the last 2,000 years, and there is a message for us in this to hear and to keep. All right, we're going to read this so that I can say that we taught the Bible today. And then we'll worship. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Grace to you. Peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen means truth. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother 
and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about, with the, ch- girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, I inserted an extra seven there, you're welcome. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. All right, worship team, I'm done commenting. So was all that imagery that I just read through, was some of that difficult? This is the thing, when we sit in all of this imagery and all of this symbolism, Revelation, it is not a hard book to understand. And we will sit in the definition of all of this imagery and what it is declaring about Jesus next week. I will have one minute of introduction and the rest of it we will cover (laughs) chapter one. Hold me to it. I don't want to be a liar again. (laughs) I'm always in a hurry. Our Father... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On this earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us today 
our daily bread. Forgive us, Lord, of our debts, of our sins, just as we forgive others. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we worship, I invite you to come in the name of Jesus in repentance, in humility, in confession, in rejoicing. You come and you take the elements that give us a reminder of his body, which was given for us, which was broken for us for the remission of our sins. And as we remember his blood, his covenant with us, that his sacrifice has cleansed us from all of our sins. That you come and you take your God to yourself and you remember who he is and declare who he is and receive who he is and walk with him as he was and as he is and as he is to come. Amen.